What is up, everybody? Welcome back to another edition of the Everything College Basketball Podcast, episode 171. We're, of course, live on the YouTube, the Twitter, or X.com for those who are new-fashioned, and the Facebook group. I'm, of course, your host, Josh Burton. Joining me today, a pair of my teammates. It's a, it's a relatively old-school team slash new-school team. Now, Peyton's back with us, but I got my teammates joining me, Peyton Burton, Trevor Everett. Fellas, we are on a Thursday afternoon, four days into the new calendar year of 2024. We're talking some college hoops, some sad news we got to open up with. But how are we doing that we're four days in to 2024? This shit seems like it goes so fast. Yeah, it definitely does. Uh, it's nice to be on the show again, especially with you guys, um, Trev and Josh. And I was on Sunday's edition of the show, on Monday's edition of the show. Um, had a lot of fun talking with Sarah. Uh, hopefully we can get her back on here soon as well because I had a blast talking to her. Awesome. And obviously the hoopy man himself with Duosa have always <laughs> loved talking shit. Always loved talking shit to him. I went back and watched that episode and just my God, I, I cooked him a couple times and I don't feel bad about it. You know, if you're on your show, I'm here to have some fun, talk some shit, and obviously it's entertaining at the at the end of the day. So it's always fun talking to him. But you know, as the week progresses, um, we got some good games to talk about this week. That I'm very excited to watch, and it's good to be back. And hopefully, you'll see a lot more than me uh, for the new year. Yeah, I haven't Trev. I haven't broken any New Year's resolutions, good. so I'm good. I'm happy so far. Four days in. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, well, you missed our New Year's resolutions. Um, real quick, off the top of your head, what's your one for your boys, North Carolina State? Not to play um, close games to Notre Dame. <laughs> there you go. Took it right out of my brain. Yeah, there you go. Uh, hey, we'll talk about it. Uh, a win's a win, right? I mean, a win's a win. Uh, Peyton, you're right, though. Speaking, Sarah was awesome. I've talked to her, full disclosure, off air. She's excited. She will be coming back at some point when schedules align. And uh, she got the ultimate bragging rights. Her her boys tucked down uh, DeRosa's boys. So good win for St. John's there. We'll talk about that a little bit, I'm sure. But, I, I mean, okay, so... I said we got to talk about some sad news, and it's unfortunate. The other night, um, you know, conference plays officially opened up around the country this week. Um, I know Big East had already played a game or two. Big Ten's played a game or two, ACC. But it officially opens up as soon as we turn to January. SEC starts this week, and we'll talk about that. But Providence, who has been in the top 25, who has been playing very well the last month, they hosted – Seton Hall in a Big East uh, pretty big game because Seton Hall's been playing well, too, coming off of a big conference win against UConn last week. And Bryce Hopkins goes down with an injury, um, didn't look good on camera, and it the results are not good as well. He ends up tearing his ACL in his left knee. Now, I can personally – identify with that people know my story i've tore mine twice when i was in high school once my freshman year once my senior year and had the major reconstruction surgery after my senior year was over with to get through basketball it is a long process it sucks you can hear and i don't know i'd I'd be curious to interview him talk to him about it i know both times i did mine you can hear it like nobody else in the building really can but you can hear it you can hear something pop and excruciating pain. Your knee swells up. For those watching us live right now, I'm making the gesture. Your knee swells up this big. I remember the first time I tore it, go to the doctor to get it drained. They took two vials, and I, I swear to God, 
the needles were this long and all I could see was blood and fluid coming out to make my knee go from this back to normal size. It is a terrible injury. Thankfully with modern medicine and training, the recovery time is not what it used to be. Hopefully he can make a full recovery within eight, nine months and be ready to go for his either back at Providence next year, or if he does try to go the pro route, but you're talking about a kid fellows that an all big East, First teamer, I think everybody had pretty much a lock. He was performing well this year and potentially an All-American this year if everything went right throughout conference play. Now a season's over just like that. That is sad shit anytime somebody gets hurt, especially a major injury like that. Yeah, and it's unfortunate that it's another leg injury that we got to talk about with another big man. We talked about it with Klingon uh, last episode about him having ankle issues. And anytime you're a big guy and you have any problems with your legs, it reduces your mobility and just hopefully doesn't have any long occurring injuries after this. Uh, I wish for a speedy recovery. I didn't watch his game. I did go back and watch the clip because I seen it all over Twitter. Um and you can just see it in his face, like his reaction to it. Like it was not good news. And it's unfortunate for him. It's obviously unfortunate for Providence because they're actually playing pretty well uh, to start the year off this year. And um, it's going to set them back. We'll see how they react for the Big East play. But it's unfortunate circumstances. And I wish for a speedy recovery to Bryce Hopkins. I just hate it for the basketball impact. Like at the end of the day, uh, you guys have said everything I wouldn't have already said about the person, but the player what he meant to that program and what he meant to English's squad. I mean, look, they, I, I had every bit of belief that they could have won the big East this year. I, I mean, I think they're one of six teams that had a great, really, really great chance to do that. And I mean, this doesn't, you know, you never know, right. This doesn't derail completely, but this sure as heck doesn't make one of the hardest conference slates where every single Tuesday, every single Thursday, every single Saturday, we're watching these Fox games and they, these are incredible conference matchups. They're without a doubt, the most fun conference matchups to watch for me, at least on a night to night basis. Obviously you know, the big 12 has some depth. Don't get me wrong. Obviously some of the bottom teams with Georgetown and DePaul is not, you know, may not be as fun to watch, but this is just, you know, it, it makes a Big East less fun and it sucks for, you know, them involved, everyone involved around it. Cause I know that Providence was really, really, I mean, coming off their win at, uh, at home against Marquette, I knew that they were really excited and they were ready to ride this thing out through January. And you know that you think about it, you look at par- Providence with Bryce Hopkins, they're ranked 145th in adjusted offensive efficiency, fifth in defense. They're playing an incredible defense right now, but they're already. 145 in offense that was with Bryce Hopkins who is their go-to scorer can score a a variety of ways we know all that so you do have to wonder if you take their best player and their leading score off this team how the hell Providence going to score the basketball I think it becomes a real concern and question right now but I will say as tough as the Big East is as you mentioned Trev you look at their next couple weeks worth of games it could be way worse They're on the road for the next two. They've got Creighton and St. John's. Either way, um, winnable, losable. Still not, it's not like they're playing UConn, Marquette back-to-back. Then the next three after that is their home against Xavier. That's a winnable game still. Away against DePaul is winnable. And then they get the return January 24th at Seton Hall. And then right after that, they get a home game against Georgetown. Before then, they'll go in their tough or their tough stretch where it's Connecticut, Villanova, Creighton, Butler, St. John's. So there's still wins there, but I do think, fellas, without Hopkins, their leading scorer and their best player, a team that already is 
we'll say middle of the pack scoring. I think it does raise concerns. How the hell, from a basketball perspective, this Providence team is going to manufacture points? I I think it's going to be good for, and I, I guess it'll tie into what you just said that kind of led into it. Is look, I'm a huge fan of Gary Dewall, and I think this is a really mm-hmm. big opportunity for him to to have an opportunity to put himself on the floor offensively and, and shine. He has done that pretty well so far. Um, I think this is definitely more impactful to his NBA draft stock than it is for Providence fans thinking that this guy's sticking around. I've seen boards where he's you know top four, so I'm not shocked at you know by any means. This is only going to help his stock as a pro, but. Um, it also could help them win games because if he steps up offensively, we know he's a good shot creator and, and can stretch the ball out. But this is a great opportunity for him despite the circumstance. Yeah, I yeah, I, I think that's a good point too. An opportunity for – oh, sorry, Peyton. I didn't mean to cut you off there. Um, it, it's a good opportunity for other people to step up and fill that void now like Agari Duall. Um, but sad news. We pray for a speedy recovery from Bryce Hopkins. I, again, from personal experience, it is a shitty injury. By the way, we've got to give some love to our guy, Connor McCabe, in the live chat right now. He said, hello, guys. He asked, is UConn the Big East favorites now? I thought all along that if it wasn't Marquette, it was UConn. I don't think this injury changes the fact. It's. I still think at the end of the day, it's either going to be Marquette or UConn. We gave our predictions uh, on Monday's show. I think it's going to be Marquette, but UConn was always a favorite. I don't think this injury changed anything. Yeah, UConn to be on the running. I just think it's Marquette's to lose at this point. I said weeks ago before a lot of this stuff started to crumble in our faces that it was Creighton's Big East to lose, and then if that was going to change, then it was Marquette's, and I'm sticking with that. Even though I do think UConn, if they can get clinging back you know, mid to late February, I know you guys touched on it on Sunday or Monday, but, you know, they get him back at the right time. They get some momentum, you know, right before the tournament. Then obviously I still think they have the best chance to go the farthest out of anybody despite that. But Marquette is the favorite to at least win the conference right now. Yeah. And I think that's a good point. UConn, they're going to take a couple losses that maybe they shouldn't in conference play, but their whole goal is to get ready for March. Like it, it's, we've have. seen last year. Yeah. <laughs> they already have well, taken yeah. those. <laughs> yeah. And that's the thing, right? Like they're going to take losses, but, they can be a four seed. They can be a one seed. They can be a six seed. They're going to be dangerous no matter what come March to go back to back. So to answer your question, Connor, as far as this injury, it doesn't affect UConn really. It, I mean, it makes it, I guess, quote unquote, a little easier on the surface, but one they're going to do note, what they're going to do. And it answers his questions too. One thing to note, UConn is 8-0 at home, 4-0 neutral site games, which we know those were a lot of those were earlier in the year at MSG. 0-2 away from any, any of those places. So one thing to continue to monitor. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, we'll, we're going to talk about that. Getting wins away from the your home building is paramount in all these conference races. Who can win the most on the road as well as long as you don't shit the bed at home, right? Protect home court. But that's who's going to be the winner of these conferences. A couple things before we start talking about some of the games that happened earlier in the week. Um, new net rankings. I know we don't talk a whole lot about them because – Really, at this point, they don't matter. It won't matter for another month, really, until you start taking into account resumes, and then that's when the quad ones and all that. But the the new top ten that came out today, or I mean, I guess yesterday was the most recent one. Houston stays one, BYU two, Purdue three, Arizona four, Alabama five, Tennessee six, Illinois seven, Iowa State eight, UConn nine, Marquette ten. The only change inside that top ten from the last update 
is Marquette went from 11 to 10, and then Kansas moved up a little. Iowa State continues to be like the net darlings because they're 11 and 2 overall. They've not really played anybody. They're going to when conference play begins, I'm fully aware, but I guess anything on these net, because again, does it really matter right now? I don't think it does. Not until next month. My New Year's resolution is to not look at the net ever again. Um, just because. Yeah, fuck, after fuck, last year. Yeah, after <laughs> Kansas breaks the fucking record, almost majority of half of their fucking wins was quad one wins, and somehow not only did we not get the number one overall seed, but we didn't get the number two overall seed. Um, it got took got pit in the hardest region, the region that it ended up crowning the new national champions of UConn. And there was a four seed, by the way. My yeah. goal and my resolution is to not talk about that shit. Um, so Trav, go ahead. If you want to talk about it, go ahead. Uh look, I, I think it's it's good to give you a quality of data context. And here's what I mean, right? When we're going to talk at the, about the Mountain West at the end, these wins, like let's say New Mexico, Colorado State, like that matters towards that team's net ranking quality. So that will eventually obviously be evened out. Like you guys are saying, it matters later in the year once these are adjusted. But they also matter now because wins counting towards those are ultimately still going to count on the schedule. So I have to look at it because I, I you know, I wanted to do the Mountain West free rank again. And a lot of that stuff it plays into that because a lot of these teams have started to cannibalize each other and that does play into some of the quad one two stuff that is really important perfect example if stated loss last night against Notre Dame would have been a quad three loss like it yeah, is what it is it just it, that really would hurt talking about does it matter it matters now if I woke up this morning and they had lost that game in South Bend their resume completely changes because of that and that really really sucks for their resume well it's a good point too but like Kentucky for instance right they're I think in most bracketologies that we follow they're like a five seed. Now, when you watch them on paper, they're six in the ECB poll, they're six in the AP poll, and you watch them on the floor, they are, they're projecting right now to a one-two. But because they have that quad four loss or quad three, I think Asheville is now, then it's dropping their net. I mean, it, yeah, it's going to matter more in a month from now than what it does now. But speaking of the Mountain West, I think it's a perfect segue. We had a big one on Tuesday night. Two of the favorites in that conference went head-to-head. Colorado State beating New Mexico 76-68. And let me, I, we've said this before, and I'll keep saying it. If you've not watched Isaiah Stevens yet, you're missing out on one of the most electric players in college basketball. The dude can do it all. He makes such a difference for this Colorado State team. He's one of those kids. He's playing and starting and doing incredibly well for Colorado State. You could throw him in to a Kansas, a Kentucky, especially an Indiana who needs guard play, and he would fit in like a hand in a glove and make that team just as good, if not better. He had 18 points in this game, uh, eight assists, two rebounds, three steals, Mr. Do-It-All, big-time win for Colorado State within the conference play against a red-hot New Mexico team that, full disclosure, I voted for in this week's ECB poll to be in the top 25. Um, great win, great game between these two. And the Mountain West, as we're going to talk about later especially, they've got firepower this year where they it should be not only multi-bid league, but potentially, what, four or five teams maybe? I mean, this is a good conference. 
Yeah, I'm going to hold my breath until later because I want to comment fully on when we talk about it. But no, the, this matchup gave everybody who was awake for it, again, just the travesty of this league being a 10.30 p.m. tip. I mean, like, mm-hmm. it just it just sucks. And look, I was up. I watched every single second of this game, and I still took away good, really good things from both sides of the floor. And again, I'll, I'll, I'll comment more towards the end when we go to rank them because I'm sure there'll be a reason for one team over the other. And obviously, talking about the net a second ago, you know, some of these matchups will matter in that, in that ranking, at least the re-ranking of it. But um, I was really impressed with Colorado State as a whole. I, I you know, I will eat some crow in a few, in a few minutes when we go to talk talk about the re-rank on them, but I also didn't see this level of this just this next step type of level for Stevenson, and, and that's it is what it is. Peyton, he's been phenomenal. His counterpart over on New Mexico, the freshman JT Toppin, led the Lobos with 17 points. This is one of those kids. I think everybody coming into New Mexico this year that knew about him knew they would be good. Pointed towards, obviously, for obvious reasons, Jamal Mashburn Jr., Nelly Jr. Joseph coming in from Iona, a Jalen House, even Jamal Baker, who's in his, like, 20th year of college. But JT Toppin's starting to really turn that corner at 6'9", the ability he has to do a multitude of things, the way he can score at a multitude of levels. I mean, he had 17 points and 11 rebounds in this game, Peyton. His development into turning that corner only makes New Mexico better. I think this was just a case they ran into another really good team, and I'm still very high on New Mexico. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned it. Also, Jamal Baker, dude, I thought he was a senior about three years ago. I'm surprised he's still playing college He's basketball. like an 18th-year senior. Yeah, he's the next version of Aaron Kraft. But, like, it's yeah. ridiculous. But, you know, JT Toppin, his production in this game was very, very important. You know, him having a double-double really helped New Mexico along the way. And if he can keep up with this production throughout the rest of the season, because everybody talks about Jalen House and uh, they talk about Mashburn as the two top players, premier players from New Mexico. They're going to need some help eventually. So if JT, uh, if, um, JT Toppin can keep doing this. Yeah, if he can keep doing this at a consistent rate for the rest of the season, then I really like New Mexico's chances um, later half in the year. But as far as Colorado State, uh, the fact that New Mexico shot over 47% from three in this game and they still won by almost double digits, they had more paints in the point, which is 32 compared to New Mexico's 26. They won the rebounding battle, 38 to 29. Those are just a couple stats. And they also had more turnovers than New Mexico's New Mexico did in this game. And they still came out victorious. So the fact that Colorado State did that, um, very impressive win out of them. And uh, I think New Mexico, they got some things they need to figure it out. But I like New Mexico as well. Shout out Colorado State's uh, home court advantage, too. Like, it's not the biggest arena, but the crowd was electric the other night. And I, it's there's something intimate about, like, we love the big arenas. Like, obviously, Rupp used to hold, like, 24,000. Now it's down to closer to 20. We love Allen Fieldhouse. We love all those. But there is something romantic still about kind of these smaller venues that hold, like, 8,000 people. Because especially when you have a really good team and a top 15-ranked team like Colorado State, that this, honestly, this happens probably once every every um, generation type team. And then you get the crowd excited. That was a great home court environment. That was a legitimate like power conference type game right there between two very good teams in New Mexico and Colorado state. By the way, Trev in our comments, you've got a fan of your mustache, uh, Chris O'Brien. I'll try to pull it up, but it'll block your face. But 
Chris O'Brien or Chris O'Brien on Twitter says, "Trevor, that mustache is looking crispy and juicy. Not gonna lie." Chris is my boy. I. <laughs> And he's the dude that has a, a beard up to his cheek. So, I mean, it's, you know, it's it's fair compliment <laughs> and praise from him. Um, two things I'll throw out there that I did notice now that I'm looking back at it. Um, my notes. Look, the Mountain West we've, we've established is a good league, right? And for these two teams to have seven bench points for New Mexico and just over 10 for Colorado State, that was the difference, right? You guys talked about uh, how Colorado State, you know, Stevens has been incredible, don't get me wrong. Uh, a guy that I think people should really be paying attention to is Rashawn Mbemba. Uh, I did a really good section about him on the uh, in the preview magazine coming over from uh, a really high-level league in Austria. Uh, he played professional basketball for at least two years uh, coming into the year, super big athletic guard. Um, he only had two points, but he did have three fouls, so he's very active on the defensive end of the floor. Uh, he had a couple of turnovers, but he had a steal, a block, and assist, and four rebounds as a pretty tall guard. So just really, really consistent, uh, somebody to keep an eye on there. Uh, and then New Mexico, just specifically what really lost in the game is not you mentioned Baker um and I have a comment about Aaron Craft in just a second that I think I sent y'all but um Mushila needs to step up Amzil needs to step up those guys have got to make shots uh just 17 minutes for Amzil and he shot one for four from the field that kind of stuff whenever they go to the bench midway through the first uh half that's just not a place that New Mexico can lose points there especially whenever they're going to start Dent Dent obviously would come off the bench originally earlier in the year so they need people off the bench to hit shots to be productive uh, Peyton made the joke about Aaron Kraft. Uh, he, I have always thought as him as one of the people before all the transfer portal stuff playing five extra years with COVID. Um, I tweeted this the other night, and I thought it was hilarious. I'll just share it on the pod. Uh, we were watching Butler St. John's. My wife was sitting there for some reason in the same room actually watching oh, a basketball game this. with me. I've seen it where you posted it. Yeah. And Thad Mana gets thrown out you know, for some crazy thing, you know, whatever. He's freaking out. And you barely got a good shot of his face. And she looks at me, and she goes, hey, you used to coach Ohio State. And, you know, for those who don't know, my wife's family's from Columbus for many, many years. So, you know, not nothing unor- uh, out of the ordinary there. I have an Ohio State hat sitting over there. Um, I look at her and I go, how did you know that? Like, because Dad Mata, not, this is not Dan Hurley. This is not Rick Patino, right? This is Dad Mata. No disrespect to Dad Mata. And she just looks at me and smirks and says, Aaron Graft. And I was like, <laughs> I'm just going to walk away. And I don't know what to do with that information. I thought it was funny, so I tweeted it. Um, but yeah, thank you to Chris for the beard uh, mustache compliment. It might be only mustache here in a few days. Peyton, uh, Aaron Craft, or not Aaron Craft, I'm sorry. Jamaro Baker's going for that Perry Ellis Award of staying in college like 25 years. So that's fucking, I mean, it's Perry Ellis, it's Mitch Lightfoot, it's Aaron Craft. Like those three <laughs> motherfuckers have been there for like 20 years, it seems. They've been there a long time, boy. Yes. A long hey, time. Too long. I mean, Devin Askew might be getting there if he stays another couple years. It seems like he's been there forever. Uh, Let's move on, though. Let's go. I I mentioned the intimacy of Colorado State. Well, probably the most famous, quote-unquote, smaller building in college basketball is obviously Cameron Indoor Stadium. And Duke not officially opened up ACC play because they've already played. They actually have a loss to Georgia Tech about a month ago. But in the new year with conference play across the board opening up, they played host to Syracuse the other night, and it was close for a little while. But once Duke, and specifically Jared McCain, got rolling, Duke never looked back. They win 88-66, or sorry, 86-66. Jared McCain, that kid, I, I tweeted about him from our official Twitter account. That kid has the potential to be the bucket getter the rest of the way for Duke. We've seen it at spurts. We've seen it against Michigan State at the beginning of the year in the Champions Classic. We've seen it at other points this year. 
this kid has some type of ability to really put Duke's offense on his back and really carry him. He had a p- couple possessions there where he hit a three. They go down. I freed if Syracuse turned the ball over or missed the shot, but he comes down in a one-on-three, one-man fast break, pulls up from the right wing, buries it, just one rotation, one pull-up form. He goes two of seven from three. I think those were only two threes, 18 points. He can get microwave hot. Duke puts five guys in double figures the other night. I think this who can this is who Duke can be and maybe who we thought they would be at the beginning of the year. They've got three losses already, but if they play this well and this balance in the scoring aspect, Mark Mitchell led them with 21. I mean, if you get 21 out of Mark Mitchell, you're going to win nine times out of 10. This is who I think Duke can be the rest of the way. And if that's the case, they're still going to be very dangerous. Go ahead, Josh. So I have some insight on this on the shot you just referred to. So uh, shout out to Josh Graham of WSJS here in uh, the Triad, Middle of North Carolina. Um, he interviewed both McCain and Coach Shire after the game, and you know when you think about Duke, right? You think about the brand, you think about the identity. You also think about <laughs> the mustache again. Uh, okay. You also think about you. You also think about you know things that have been implemented, right? A culture, uh, an ability to do certain things on both ends of the floor, right? Duke has a thing called they call Duke shots. That's that's what they call them. And Coach K established that, and Shire obviously has definitely stuck with you know whatever that mentality is. Uh, they call them Duke shots because you know, and he didn't go through a laundry list of them, but an example of a you know one on three fast break where a guy's open, you know, quick shot off of a turnover, very three man weave kind of esque, get the ball up there quick and and put the ball up from you know one of the wings. And they haven't had a guy to do that all year, and Shire alluded to that. And as you said, McCain can be that guy, and that is something that just I never realized that, you know, thinking back on it, that's something Duke's always had. They've always had somebody to do it, J.J. Redick, even Jeremy Roach a little bit recently. You know, I'm obviously missing plenty of guys in the past. Quinn Cook did it a couple times. Shire could do it. I'm just missing, like, the last 10 years of just people that I know could do it. Austin Rivers could do it. Yeah, perfect. He he did it for the win, I mean, quite frankly. But the point is, is it's something that's instilled, and I'm good to see that. And McCain spoke to his confidence in in that interview. He spoke to how he feels a lot more confident confident coming out of that Baylor game uh, in MSG. And I think that's really, really important to what they have been on offense recently. I will say, take it with a grain of salt. It was against Syracuse who I'm going to toot my horn was correct on them. Not being as good as we maybe thought coming into the year. There was people have you know, had who had them in the NCAA tournament as an at large without a doubt. And I was like, I don't know. I think I have a lot of questions first year in the man defense system with Autry. We just showed, uh, you just saw last night how that can be picked apart with a team that can make shots and, and make them well especially gets out in transition. Duke did a good job of turning defense to offense real quick or forcing turnovers. Um, Syracuse Payton had 17 turnovers in this game. You're not going to win very many ball games in Cameron Indoor with 17 turnovers. Um, and also, I think this is kind of the, the subplot or the overall overview of Syracuse this year. Judah Mintz was good, 18 points. They got 26 from Malik Brown. They had nobody else in double figures. I mean, 4 of 16 from 3. I just think this is who, like, to play off what Trevor said, I think this is who Syracuse is, trying to figure out how to play man-to-man, um, who's going to score the ball outside of Judiments. I mean, Malik Brown helped them the other night, but J.J. Starling's got to be better. Like, I thought he would be so good coming over. What do you think of Syracuse now sitting here 10-4 and and 1-2 and in ACC play? Uh, yeah, they definitely need someone else to step up. I... 
Love Gina Mintz's game. I think he's done a pretty good job this season, but he definitely needs some help. Um, Starling, I thought coming into the season after transferring away from Notre Dame, he's a former five-star recruit, former top 15 recruit. I thought this kid was going to just light it up this year. And, I mean, he only had nine points in this game. He had three turnovers, played 34 minutes. He was not good in this game whatsoever. Uh, can't have that. I think in order for Syracuse to make some sort of a run the rest of the ACC conference play this year, someone else outside of Judah Mintz is going to have to step up. And I don't know if they're going to get that production at all. So that's why they're struggling now. But one point, speaking of stepping up, I want to talk about Duke just real quick. There's a couple of notes I've had or I wrote down that I want to talk about. And it came to fruition this game. Outside of Jeremy Roach and Kyle Filipowski, Duke has struggled to get any consistent scoring out of their two guards of Jaren McCain and Tyrese Proctor. Both of those guys stepped up in this game. You mentioned McCain. He had 18 points, four of six from the three-point line. He had four three-pointers in this game. Um, Tyrese Proctor had 14 points himself, five of seven from the field. He had four His first six. game back, too, by the way. That's a good point. Yes. His first game back from injury. In order for Duke to live up to their full potential, because I still think Duke has the talent to make a, a run, a second weekend run here, gets a lead eight final four. In order for that to come to fruition, they need some help outside of Roach and Filipowski. And they both played well in this game, but either one of them or both of them needs to step up and be more consistent once we get into conference play. And if God forbid if both of those guys step up consistently, Duke's a team you don't want to see in March. A guy that you... A guy that you didn't even mention that was unplayable five games ago was Mark Mitchell, and he led he led yep. all scorers. So at least for Duke, and for him to be, you know, I, I think it speaks to having Tyrese Proctor back. He, you know, he's a guy that played with him last year. They've had really good chemistry together. You know, he's able to get him the ball in spots. Like that's obviously a really really big difference there. Not only did Tyrese have fourteen uh, points, he had four assists off the bench. So that's something that I think they're just they're feeling a rhythm out where. That's going to be really important for Duke, where earlier in the year they basically played those those big, you know, Champions Classic games, and then really until the Baylor game, they just kind of cruised. I think the Hofstra game was tough, don't get me wrong, but, you know, they did not exactly have any challenges, and not saying Syracuse, I'm kind of walking back some of the stuff I said. This is definitely a better team than they've played in the last month, but other than Baylor, but this, than is Baylor, one of those, yeah. this is one of those situations where the ACC play always benefits Duke because they have one of the hardest home environments in the country. We know that. And this year, regardless of what people think about, you know, the bottom of the ACC, there are teams like Syracuse that are, regardless of the result, going to give you a fight on a night-to-night basis. And obviously, I'm, other examples of Pitt and things like that. But um, look, I think Duke is finding momentum at the right time. It's the same exact, you know, story I said last year with Shire, right? I got to see them up close and personal on the road at North Carolina State, one of the first conference games of the year last year, and they got beat by 30. Like, completely just ran off the floor. I was like, I don't know if Shire's a good coach. And I said that just thinking like I knew that he could approve upon that. And then literally go to the Louisville game, shout out to Phil, go to the Louisville game a few months later, about a month and a half later. And obviously at the time we know what Louisville was and is, but it was the fact that I got to see a team in a home environment, confident and comfortable after so many things. And they went on a four game win streak to end the year to go into the ACC tournament. And eventually, you know, I think they, yeah, they won last year. So ultimately they were end up being a really good team down the stretch was my point. Last couple things on Duke before we move on. They are they're on a five game win streak now after they lost back to back on the road to Arkansas and Georgia Tech. They are now ninth in offense, twenty sixth in defense. They're shooting thirty seven point two percent from three, which puts them forty fifth in the nation. They're twenty sixth in two point percentage at fifty six point two percent. You look at their next five games in conference play. 
Notre Dame on the road, Pittsburgh on the road, Georgia Tech at home, Pittsburgh at home, at Louisville. There's a real chance they can win all five of those games to put them at 15 and three and on a 10 or on a 10 game win streak. If Duke gets 15 and three on a 10 game win streak heading to January 7th or 27th against Clemson, you're talking about a team that's probably a top five team in the country and shooting up the bracketology to what maybe it's two seed. Duke can get real hot and they're starting to play better. I think this is still a team that the nation's got to watch out for because they are starting to slowly put it together after a, a we'll call it a sluggish start. So, I think, sorry to interrupt you there, but I think one note that you just talked about and I forgot to mention is a big difference from last year, this year. Last year, their three-point percentage was not I mean, it was okay. It was, they shot over like 33% from three last year, which ranked over like 150th or whatever in Ken Palm. And you go into this year and you mentioned it, they're shooting over 37%. That's yeah, a big increase in three-point shooting. And they shot like 37%. They shot 47% in this game from three. Eight, Eight of 17. Yep. So their ability to stretch it out and hit shots consistently, this team – multiple – I didn't mean to cut you off there. I was just adding no, to it. From multiple people, too. It's not like one person or two yeah. people. They've got multiple guys who can really shoot when open. Yeah, absolutely. Let's stay in the ACC conference. Let's move from Duke. Let's go over to the big one in the early part of the week. Clemson goes on the road to Miami and takes the L 95-82 after leading for the early part of this game. Miami putting up 95 points. They're 11-2. and two. After the loss to Kentucky and uh, Colorado whooped them, they're starting to slowly figure it out. I'm not going to say as far as – I'm not going to go as far as say that they're the Miami that we all expected. But, I mean, they had five guys in double figures, did pretty much all their – literally all their scoring. Or they had six guys. No, five guys. They had multiple guys with 20 points or more. What do you make of Miami and Clemson? This is only their second loss. But – let me put it this way and be fair to Clemson because I think they're still a very good team. When them getting blown out on the road and really their first big conference game, are you worried that Clemson's going to fumble the bag? I'll put it like that. And I'll then on sure. the Miami, and then on yeah. the Miami end of the spectrum, I, I'll let you answer that as well. Miami looks like they're starting to figure it out. Two and zero in conference play, eleven and two now. I'll be short and sweet. Clemson, I still think is the best team in the ACC. Uh, second of all, Miami did this time. I, I, you, you said this and then backtracked it and asked a different question. The Miami point is like, you know, does this speak to what Miami can be in the future? They did this without Wugo Poplar. Mm-hmm. Let's just be upfront about that. Like Miami put up 95 points without Wugo Poplar playing a single minute. Right. And, you know, hope he continues to get healthy. But the point is, is they were able to get 23 from Cleveland. Who's not historically, a, you know, three point shooter. You know, I, I'm going to take a little bit of what Florida state was last year out of the equation. You know, I think he had to do more with the ball than he was expected to. But the opportunity for Norchad Amir to have 23 points against probably one of the best front courts in the in the ACC. Like, it is what it is, even if it's just P.J. Hall guarding him. Um, look, Clemson didn't exactly have the ba- a bad game by any stretch of the imagination. All starters were in double figures. I still think Clemson's the best ACC team right now because they'll eventually get better production from uh, Godfrey and Hunter off the bench. Um Look, I think, you know, Wiggins is an incredible player. And when he's only given you 12 and somebody that I know can be better, even though they're asking him to be a lot defensively, 
look, Clemson's, I still think, the best ACC uh, team. I'm sticking to that. Both teams at 11-2. Clemson's still in the top 25 as of right this moment. Like, there's still things to believe uh, there. But, you know, Pack is obviously going to be a player that, that leans on momentum. And 25 points to lead you into ACC play for Miami uh, to, to really where we're actually getting rolling here. I mean, you, you, if you're a Miami fan, you got to be excited for that one because Clemson, even though they aren't the most stout defense, it it is still a team that is very difficult to play because they can play you in a lot of different ways. Peyton, it, this was a very close game stat-wise as well. I know Miami wins by 13 without Wooga Poplar, but if you just look at stats, both teams hit 11 threes. Miami goes 14 of 15 from the free throw line. Clemson makes all nine of theirs. The rebounding edge went Miami's way, but it wasn't like a, a major gap turnovers Miami wins nine to 11 like so stat wise it was close Clemson had four more fouls they shot more threes missed more threes which allowed Miami to get more possessions off of them and they didn't get to the foul line as much as Miami so what do you think about this uh I got a couple notes I want to talk about also Miami had 15 points um fast break points so that helped them out a lot getting in transition um I feel like both of these teams has kind of has similar like issues and their it's lack of their bench. Um, Miami had no bench points in this game. Zero. All yeah. their production came from their starting five. Three guys who scored over 20 points. Nigel Pack led them with 25. Omiya and Cleveland both had 23. And then you had Joseph and George with 12 apiece. All their points came from their starting five. And you go on the Clemson side, their bench didn't play all that well either. They had eight bench points. So bench points, uh, coming off the bench, they need guys who be able to score, especially when a guy like P.J. Hall goes out with foul trouble. Um, he fouled out in this game. I think he's a phenomenal player. He's definitely an uh, ACC All-American this season. Um, Joe Girard came out, had 18 points, 4 of 10 from the three-point line, 40%. He also had five dimes as well. Um, I can't say this dude's name. Shifflin? Is that how you say his name? Shiflin? Shifflin. Shifflin. Yeah, he, Got it right, baby. Let's go. He had a double-double. Yeah. yeah, he had a double-double, 11 points, 11 boards. I do think Clemson's one of the top three team, best teams in the ACC. I don't know if I'd say they're the best, per se, right now. I still think Duke is up there with them, and I still think North Carolina's up there. Um, but if they're going to – when the ACC, I feel like the bench, specifically at their front court spot, is going to have to step up immediately. And Well, I think that plays into what Trev was saying. He thinks eventually, right, Trev, that they're going to get better production out of like RJ Godfrey or Dylan Hunter and all that. But I am with Peyton on that, too. They At some point, they're going to step up. They've got a massive game again this Saturday. We're going to preview here in just a few minutes against North Carolina on the road. And at some point, Hunter and Godfrey or a Josh Beadle or whoever is going to have to step up and really help this team. But I, I, you said you feel pretty confident that at least one of them is going to kind of rise up, right? I think both of them continue this, you know, a, a upward swing here. A um, couple of really important things to note for Clemson on why they can. You just mentioned the Carolina game. They also have another quad one opportunity at Virginia Tech. Uh, and that uh, Clemson, or that North Carolina game is in Clemson. I don't know if you said that. Uh, oh, yeah, you're there. right. I had that at mixed Miami. Up. You're, right. you're good. At you're Miami, right. home North Carolina, at Virginia Tech, three quad one opportunities. They don't get another one of those until uh, the Duke game on the 27th of January, and then not another one again until at North Carolina. So they really have to take care of one of these games. And then as of right now, as fun as this sounds, um, their, la their next quad one opportunity isn't until March 9th 
at Wake Forest in the year. Wow. Which is crazy to think what Wake's been. Obviously, I wasn't able to comment uh, on last pod. So They were my uh, sleeper in the ACC. Yeah. They were mine. Uh, I've got a 360-page document that says I agree with you. So Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and you know what? Last thing, because we're a move on from this, touch on a couple others just real quick before we move on to the next segment. But the thing I love about Miami looks like they're making a resurgence, especially when they get Wooga Poplar back, and then we know Clemson, Duke, and Carolina, and then even a Wake Forest. We just named five teams that are going to battle for the ACC. The ACC needs this. They, they probably need another one, at least one team to join that. A six-team race is going to put them right there with all the other major conferences where you have six very quality teams that not only can win the ACC, but could do some damage in the NCAA tournament. They've been – they're still a good conference, obviously, historically great. They've always got really good teams. But we've admitted that the last year or two, maybe they're down by their standards – Miami getting good again, or it looks like they're bouncing back. Clemson staying good. Duke Carolina is always great for it. And then the reemergence of a Wake Forest and hopefully another team. Now the ACC is really cooking with gas, at least at the top part of the conference. So that's fun to see, especially for the conference title race. That is a good sign. Uh, let's go around the table real quick. The early part of the games, Monday didn't really have jack shit because obviously it's the turn of the new year. Nobody's really playing on New Year's Day in college basketball. There was a few games, but I, I think Grambling beat some Bible college in the women's side by like 112 points or something. Yeah. But so it's really been the last two days worth of game. So not a whole lot, but I do want to touch some on the Big Ten. We had one last night for our Indiana folks here listening. Close your ears. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Johnny. Um, the Hoosiers went down in Nebraska. Nebraska is obviously improved. They've got some players. They, they're they averaging 8.8 made threes per game coming into last night, and it had to go up because they hit, what, like 12 of them, I think. Uh, let me see. Yeah, they went 12 of 32. Indiana gets beat on the road 86-70, and I'll be real quick about this. Indiana, until they learn how – and they hit nine threes. You can't complain about their three-point shooting. They shot 50%. The last couple of games, they've actually shot pretty well from three. Indiana just cannot guard um, when the, the offense is fluid. Then they can guard and set half court, but when the ball's in transition, they lose their man too easy. And they need another guard or two at this case to step up. Xavier Johnson makes his return. He had a big goose egg, zero points in 15 minutes. Um, Gabe Cups is really struggling. He's hit that freshman wall. 26 minutes, five points. They're getting some production off the bench. Anthony Walker continues to play well, eight points off the bench. But it's the guard play for Indiana that is absolutely doing them dirty because Kalel wears on an All-American pace. He's been phenomenal. Forget all Big Ten. He's at an all-American pace right now. They're getting great minutes out of Malik Renew, but it's two front court guys in a college basketball world that's so guard-reliant and their guards are letting them down both on the defensive end, especially like as I mentioned in transition D, and scoring the basketball, setting teammates up. Indiana needs guard play somehow, some way. I don't know where it's going to come from. On the Nebraska end of things, they're 12-2, and 2-1 and one in Big Ten play. This is a real quality team. Um, how do you pronounce his name? Is it Kesai Tomaninga? I always mispronounce his name. I've told y'all plenty of times I am not the pronunciation guy on this show. So I'll just go with Tomaninga. Tomaninga. Hey, good enough for me. Sounds good. <laughs> 28 points. This team shoots well. They've got athletes. Rink Mass down low. He only had nine in this game, but he's a real force down low. 
this team could sneak in the NCAA tournament. I'm just saying, the way they can shoot, the way they can score, especially in bunches, Hoiberg may get this Nebraska team in the tournament, depends on how the rest of the year plays. But Indiana, we talked about your resolutions. Somehow find some guards somewhere. <laughs> Beg Xavier Johnson, Gabe Cups, Caleb Banks, CJ Gunn, these guys you're expecting to produce just beg them to start playing because your big men are doing everything they can to hold you together right now. Despite what we think about the big 10 and its quality of play the last couple of months, they Nebraska, if they want to make the tournament, as you just alluded to, I'll be short and sweet. I know we got a whole thing to get to. Yeah. Um, they have three quad one opportunities coming up at Wisconsin uh, at or home against Purdue and at Iowa back to back to back, boom, boom, boom. And then they don't get a really another stretch of them again until mid February. So They've got to win these. They've got to make sure they don't lose any dumb games. Like they just can't lose to, you know, Penn State, right? Is a Q3 opportunity right now. They can't lose to Minnesota. That's later in the year. Rutgers. They've definitely got a, their schedule loosens up completely after mid February. I mean, they just have Q2, Q3 all down the board. So they just can't lose these big games. And then, you know, ultimately that their offense has been really, really good. And it's just got to sustain that. One thing I want to talk about Indiana, um, it's kind of funny, it's kind of unironic, and it's definitely not the issue. Josh, I mentioned what the issue is, is their lack of guard play right now. The fact that Xavier Johnson played 15 minutes, had four turnovers, and had no points in this game is just absurd to me. Can't be doing that. Um, so guard play is definitely the issue, but it is really ironic. And I go back to what happened at the end of the season last year, the first show that we talked about. We talked about, oh, I brought up, the potential downfall of two teams, Indiana and Gonzaga. Gonzaga mm, without Drew Timmy, Indiana without TJD. And look where we're at now. Both of those teams are very struggling to find their footing at this point. And I'm not saying that they had TJD on this roster and immediately fixed because, like Josh alluded to, Khalil Ware is having a great year. But the, I'm not talking about production on the court from, like, stats purposes or anything like that. But I feel like TJD – if he was on this team, not only is he just as good as a player, but I feel like he's a better leader than Clear Ware is. Clear, uh, TJD, you go back and watch last season's stuff. You can go back and even watch some of the stuff he's doing now with the Warriors. He is very assertive, and people respect his opinion because he was there for so Great long. Point. Clear Ware Great just point. got to here. Do you really think a guy like Xavier Johnson, who's been here for a couple of years, really wants to listen to what Clear Ware has to say? The answer is probably no. So I feel like if TJD was on this roster, he would hold these guys, these guards accountable, and they'd be a lot better if they had TJD than they would clear where. That's just my opinion. It's it's a great point, except he doesn't he can't make them play better. That's the only thing hmm. I would say. And it, it obviously doesn't matter. You know, you mentioned the on the court stuff, but um the other thing about uh, really fast, Gonzaga being ranked in the top twenty five right now should the be batter. a war should be a war yeah. crime. It I should be a war that. crime. Okay. Fucking absurd. It's it's absurd. Laughable. They're not a forget top twenty fives. I'm war so glad crime. we dropped them this week. They're not an NCAA tournament team right now. Neither They're just Indiana. not. Neither one are. Neither one. We're what we're gonna do now though is we're gonna play just a real quick. We gotta show some love to our title sponsor this year and friends over at Shot Quality Bets. You're gonna hear this ad when we come back. We got some games to preview. We're gonna re-rank the Mountain West. We still got more to come on episode 171. Thank you for watching with us. We'll be right back in just a minute. College basketball fans, I've got a question for you. Are you looking to score big with your basketball bets and analysis? Well, ShotQualityBets.com is your go-to source for data, picks, and predictions that are a cut above the rest. 
With their state-of-the-art computer vision and AI, they analyze the game like no one else, providing you with unique data that's crucial for making informed decisions. Shot Quality Bets takes the hard work out of betting by matching their highly accurate predictions with the current betting lines, making it a breeze for you to place winning wagers. And the best part? You can start this winning streak right now with the Everything College Basketball exclusive code of ECB for 10% off your first month. Simply visit shotqualitybets.com backslash welcome to sign up and jump into the action. It's that easy. ShotQualityBets.com, where data drives your analysis to the next level. Thank you again to ShotQualityBets.com for coming on board with ECB for this uh, for this season here. I know the guys speaking for them as well. They're excited. We're all excited to have them aboard with all their data and analysis. Great website. Again, go use the promo code ECB for 10% off your first month. Let's get into some games because SEC officially starts this Saturday. We are, we've mentioned already throughout the show, conference plays here. So we're going to really start to separate the pretenders from the contenders. And what better way to start than let's go down to Gainesville, 12.30 p.m. Tip, or 12.30, yeah, 12.30 p.m. Tip time, East Coast time. On Saturday afternoon, the number six ranked Kentucky Wildcats go down to Gainesville to play a very good and very dangerous Florida team. Ken Palm has Kentucky favored. 86-85, but ESPN's BPI gives Florida a 68% chance of winning this game, which makes no sense to me. The Cats, obviously, we've talked about them a lot this year. They're one of the most fun teams in college basketball to watch when they get rolling. They're on a four-game win streak after that shock loss to UNC Wilmington. I don't know why I keep calling them UNC Asheville, by the way. I, I keep calling them UNC Asheville. It was UNC Wilmington. My bad, Michael Jordan. That's Wilmington was your area. But Kentucky going into Florida – They've been rivals for like the last 20-some years. Kentucky's won nine of the last 10 matchups, though. What are you guys? I'll let you take first volley on this. This is a real big test for Kentucky. A true road away game. No offense to Louisville, but Florida is much better than Louisville. And Kentucky took over the building, by the way. So how much of a road game was it? Um, I'll let you guys take first volley. This is a great game on Saturday afternoon to start the day off. I I don't know why you mentioned Louisville there. Like everybody fucking knows that shit. Like well, that's not even a shot towards me. That's just dumb. Um, listen, Florida has every chance in the world to win this game. I feel like they have to make Kentucky turn the ball over. But man, that's easier said than done because Kentucky rarely turns the ball over. They especially with the freshman guards. I mean, I've we mentioned in the Kansas game earlier this season how well they take care of the ball despite having such young, inexperienced guards. And this, I feel like they're going to have to try to turn the ball over. They're definitely going to have to hit shots, and they have to control the rebounding battle, which Florida, I feel like, will do in this game. I feel like they will control the rebounding battle because they are fifth in offensive rebound, rebounding percentage for this season. I feel like that's a big key heading into this game. I do think Walton Clayton is going to have a decent game in this one, but I feel like everyone else is going to have to step up their game and help him out in this one. But, man, just I hate saying it. I'm going to give credit when credit's due. Kentucky is one of the top five best teams in the country. I think as of now, they're probably, if I was a bracketologist, I feel like right now I'd probably have them the first two seed, but they're definitely in the running for one seed as of now. I know it's going into the swamp. It's going to be a tough game, tough environment, but I do think Kentucky pulls this one out, but it's going to be a difficult one. I'll be short and sweet. I saw Florida earlier this year uh, at Wake, and I, 
I don't know if I actually really like this Florida team as much as I did coming into the year. Um, I have some questions. If, if this is going to come down to guard play, then I don't. I, I don't think this game's close. Because no offense to Riley Kugel and and Pullen and all those guys, I think they're incredible players, but they don't have the cohesion that this Kentucky team does in the backcourt, and that's really, I think, going to be the difference maker. And and honestly, with the front court getting better for Kentucky, I just I just don't see. I'd be shocked if Kentucky doesn't win by fifteen. Well, you guys both bring up great points. Um, Florida's still a dangerous team. They, like Peyton mentioned as well, they're big. Tyree Samuel's playing well coming in from Seton Hall. They've got Michael Handlugatin. That's such a mouthful. They, they do rebound on the offensive end very well. Kentucky does not – it's gotten better since uh, Bradshaw and Uganda Kingsley on Yesus came back into the team. But they don't rebound particularly well, at least not right now. Everything's playing through their backcourt and their their five-out modern basketball is what we like to say. So I think Florida, especially if they can't keep Kentucky out of transition early in the game, might try to go zone. But the problem is Rob Dillingham shooting 47 or sorry, 44 rounded up 45% from three. Antonio Reeves, 45.9%. Trey Mitchell, a big man, 38%. Reed Shepard, fifth nationally, 56%. Aaron Bradshaw has only taken three of them. He's hit two of them. He's shooting 66%. Aduthi Arrows, 30%, but he's got the ability. My point is, I think Florida's hope to win this game is to out-rebound Kentucky, especially in the offensive end, try to turn Kentucky over, because at times they do get a little loose with it. You know, they're freshmen for the most part. And to zone them and hope Kentucky doesn't hit. But the problem is, is Kentucky's got shooters everywhere and playmakers. Florida is going to keep this close because it's at home. They're going to play out of their mind. I already know this. They're going to play out of their mind. They're going to be physical. They're going to rattle Kentucky. It won't even surprise me at halftime if they don't have like a six, eight point lead. But I do think at some point the Cats get settled in. Justin Edwards, the last couple games, is starting to round out. He's got a great mid-range game all of a sudden. Three-point shot still coming along, but he can use his size to get to the rim. And then you got two of the best guards in the country coming off your bench. There's maybe not any other team in the country that can say that. And Rob Dillingham and Reed Shepard. I think the Cats go down to Florida, get another statement win that's going to be a quad one, propel them up the bracket ranks, and continue this path of being one of the top five or six teams in college basketball. I think it's a close one, but I do think Kentucky wins this ball game. I, I, I just. If you zone this team, I feel like you're playing with fire. I really do. I think you're playing with fire if you zone Kentucky. We've seen it. It doesn't work. I would advise Florida not to do it. Also on Saturday, I completely skipped Friday. We'll add that to the end. Also on Saturday, back to the ACC. We've got number 10, North Carolina, at number 12, Clemson. Trev, you alluded to it a little bit. This is going to be a damn good game. These were the two teams when we on Monday's show, on episode 170, all of us here at this uh, podcast, we went around talking about the ACC contenders. Two of us went for North Carolina. Two of us went for Clemson. You've already said Clemson. Do you think Clemson holds home court and beats North Carolina in this ranked or top 15 matchup? Yeah, Little John, despite the history of its recent years, like Little John's one of the hardest places in the ACC to play. I don't think people understand that. I mean, it is like the better part of 8,000 seats, and I, they really feel on top of you. That South Carolina game, they had it for the most part, sold out because it's a rivalry game. And, I mean, those students are, like, on top of you there. And to not, you know, 
to, not to add fuel to the fire here, but obviously coming off the loss against Miami, I think that really motivates Clemson. And I do think that they're better built to match up against North Carolina. This is a completely different team than Miami, right? Where North Carolina has the opportunity to slow it down, put it into the post. But as they've been good lately, they've been, you know, they've been stretching it out, hitting threes. And yeah, I do think Clemson is the better team still. And I think they win. Peyton, North Carolina or Clemson? With this being at Clemson, I think Clemson gets the job done in a very close, hard-fought battle. Player Joe Gerard has a really good game. Obviously, P.J. Hall is going to dominate. That matchup between him and Baycott is going to be fun to watch. Um, but I do think Clemson, the bench is definitely going to have to step up in this game. But I do like them edging North Carolina out in this one. It's going to be a fun one, though. I, I would love to go the sweep with you, but – I'm Carolina was my pick to win the ACC. I haven't watched this team multiple times throughout the year already. There is something about this team that Hubert Davis deserves a lot of credit for that. They are much different. I know losing Caleb love in theory should hurt, but it's again, maybe addition by subtraction. Elliot Cadeau is continuing his rise. I love Harrison Ingram. I think he's phenomenal. And RJ Davis is the absolute key in this game as he will be the rest of the way in most of these games. He can go on a heater. We know this. We've seen this. I think R.J. Davis has a big second half. I think, honestly, here's what I think. I think Clemson wins the first half or up comfortably, but then R.J. Davis cuts loose, goes for like a 25-piece in the second half, and North Carolina gets a big road win and a big conference win to set the pace in the ACC. I like Carolina by two, maybe even a buzzer beater. I think shit's getting crazy on Saturday. What a fun game that'll be. Let's go to... SEC again, number 19 and undefeated Ole Miss running Rebels at number seven, Tennessee. I'm going to be honest. We know Tennessee is good. We know their defense is elite. But since we bragged on them at the beginning, first month of the year, their offense has kind of taken a step back. And I don't understand why in some of like the AP poll, they're ranked ahead of some of the teams that they're ranked ahead of. Their defense is elite. Ole Miss surprise of the year potentially in college basketball we know chris beard's a phenomenal head coach despite anything else anybody says chris beard is a phenomenal basketball coach peyton i'll let you take first volley does ole miss stay undefeated and go to one of the hardest places to play in america and get a win and start SEC playoff right or is it tennessee's defense and knoxville goes out Tennessee wins this game, and you just mentioned it, basically. I don't have to go through the stats or anything like that. The fact that it's in Thompson Bowling Arena, one of the top ten hardest places to play out in the country. Um, it's very rare you go in there and win, and I don't see it happening. Tennessee's defense is going to be too good. I've been very impressed with Ole Miss this season, but when you go into Thompson Bowling Arena, you have to be able – to be able to be able to play, um, be ready for a physical battle, and that's something I don't think Ole Miss is going to be prepared for. Tennessee wins this game, um, I think, about 7 to 10 margin. I think they blow them out. Tennessee's played a harder schedule. Ole Miss has not played really anybody up to this point. NC State's probably their hardest win, and that was a 20-point drubbing in, in Oxford. I Look, Tennessee may, leads in almost every major statistical category, and then the ones that they don't, it's by a very small margin, and then that speaks to the strength of schedule that they've had so far. I, I'm just—I I don't even see this being a close contest. I will say this: Ole Miss has size that can match up with Tennessee. Like their interior play, they're going to match up. It's going to come down the backcourt. Dalton Neck obviously can go off at any moment. We talked about RJ Davis. Dalton Neck's a walking thirty piece if he wants to. So I do think it's going to come down to the backcourt. Tennessee in their three losses. 
gave up a lot of three-point makes. Purdue, Kansas, North Carolina. Ole Miss shooting 40, if you round it up, basically 41% from three. They're top 10 nationally shooting the three ball. If Alan Flanagan, especially Alan Flanagan with his experience playing at Auburn all those years, if he can get hot and Matthew Morrell can get hot, I like Ole Miss to pull the upset. But I, unfortunately, I think I'm going to go with you guys. Tennessee wins, but I think it's going to be much closer. I think it's going to be within a two or three possession game. Tennessee will win by six, seven points at the end. But Ole Miss is going to give them fits, I do believe, because their size – I think they're going to make it tough on Tennessee to score the way they can block shots and defend at the rim with elite shot blockers. I will say that. Let's go to the Pac-12. We haven't talked about them all night. Um, number 24, Utah at number eight, Arizona. And I will say this first and foremost, Arizona, we talked about on Monday. They have lost now three of their last six. Utah is a dangerous team. Trev, you got the pleasure of watching them in person. They can absolutely light you up in a hurry from three. They've got snipers. They've got a great player in Brendan Carlson. I'm putting it out there, even on the road. They've won now since that, by the way, since their loss to St. John's when you've seen them. They've won, what, eight in a row. 2-0 and in uh, Pac-12 play already. Matt, beat Washington State, beat Washington. I think they go on the road and absolutely snipe Arizona's defense and take them down. I've got Utah winning by like four or five points, but I think they're going to pull the upset. I was going to try to say this before you set this preview out, and I wish I had. Um, I think the harder game for Arizona is actually tonight. They play Colorado tonight, tonight. Uh, and we obviously yep. – people only people that are going to hear that is going to be the people watching live. Thank you yep. to those. But I think the harder game for them, I think that one also is, yes, in Arizona tonight as well. It so they have, they've got a really tough stretch of games here, and obviously I was not a buyer or believer in Colorado coming into the year, especially at a high level, but you know, since been convinced otherwise – um, I don't think Utah gets the win, even though I do think they've gotten better since then. But I think Colorado wins tonight. I think is kind of what I was alluding to. So you got um, Colorado think, beating Arizona tonight, but Arizona beating uh, Utah on Saturday, correct, right? Correct. Okay. Fuel for the fire. Even though Utah, I will say, like talking about front court, they have five dudes that they can just send out at any time. Just watching them, and I my, where I, my seat was in Charleston, I was like. You know, I could almost reach out and touch their last guy on the bench and literally like just to watch them be like no big man was ever tired in any of those games. And they played some really tough contests. They played Houston really close. I mean, at one point in the second half there and they just can just he can just point at anybody. Head coach there can just be like, you're in, done. Just Just boom, boom, boom. Send in front court guys left and right over and over again. And they don't get tired for 40 minutes. They're really, really, really physical. They remind me of BYU in that sense. And they shoot so well. And by the way, they beat BYU's ass too. Um, Peyton in Arizona's three losses, they've given up over 90 points in all three. They gave up 92 to Purdue, 96 to Florida Atlantic, and 100 to Stanford, which we talked about on episode 170 back on Monday. Utah is a team that can put up over 90 on them. In a hurry. In a hurry. So, are you worried about Arizona's defense in this game? Yeah, I am. I mean, we talked about it Monday. I uh, 100% I am. Not only that, you mentioned they gave up 96 to Florida Atlantic, 92 to Purdue, 100 to Stanford. No, they scored 100 against uh, California. Uh, never mind. They also gave up 81 points against California, too. Yeah, that's a good um, point, yeah. That's uh, not good. I do agree with Trev, though. I was actually going to mention that before he hopped in there. They do play Colorado tonight. Um, if they beat Colorado tonight, I think they lose to Utah. But I do think Colorado beats Arizona tonight. 
I think Cody Williams has a really good game. I think Tristan just Silva is going to have a really good game as well. I think Colorado goes into Tucson and beats Arizona, and then Arizona beats Utah on Saturday. I'll play off that point that you guys mentioned before we move on. I will say this. Colorado is a very difficult game tonight, and then have to the two days later, basically a day and a half later, turn around and get ready for a red-hot Utah team that's winners of eight straight that can score. That's not an easy task. Utah or Arizona's schedule coming up for the next couple of weeks. Colorado, Utah, Washington State, USC, UCLA, Oregon State, Oregon. That is not easy. There is a legitimate chance after starting red hot and looking like the best team in the country at one point, they've lost three of six. I see maybe potentially another two or three losses if they don't play well in these games. Now we're talking about a six-loss Arizona team before February. So I don't know. Is that stock still okay with Arizona or stock going down? We'll let the viewers decide and listeners of this podcast. But I've got Utah. I think it's a bad matchup for Arizona, especially on a day and a half's notice. Let's go back to Friday night, which would be today if you guys listen to this tomorrow on Friday. As it, we got days mixed up. So <laughs> number nine, Illinois, without TJ Shannon, who just railroaded Northwestern without him, plays on the road at number one Purdue in Mackey Arena. Fellas, without TJ Shannon, is there any chance that Illinois pulls off the upset against the number one team in the country? Not in Arena, no. I think Purdue wins this game pretty comfortably. At least double digits. As much as I've loved Illinois and made it very clear that I think they could have been in a Sweet 16, potentially Elite 8 team with Shannon before all the stuff came up, uh, I think this game would have been incredible. However, I do think Purdue with Peyton, not not in Mackey, and I think Purdue's playing their best ball right now. I just, before Josh goes, I just think that in this game, they're going to have to ask a lot of Coleman Hawkins, and that's something I wouldn't be comfortably in doing because he's not consistent enough to hold this fort until we find out more information on TJ Shannon. So without Shannon there carrying the load for them offensively, um, you take away the best guy, uh, you're going to have to ask a lot of Coleman Hawkins, and I'm not too comfortable in them doing that uh if he has a good game then yeah maybe illinois can come in there and pull a big victory in Mackey. but i'm not betting on that to happen and i think purdue like i mentioned just too much for him and you're not winning a Mackey. i will say this um purdue is playing well obviously zach Eady is probably gonna win back-to-back player of the year they're playing well and we've mentioned this last year and we've mentioned this year because they're guards fletcher lawyer braden smith particular braden smith their guards are going to make them a legitimate national championship contender. If they don't play well, Illinois hangs around and maybe gets them. But I just don't see it. without TJ Shannon. I just don't see it. Hey, by the way, we got before we move on to the last segment of the show. Connor McCabe again says, "I'm going to the North Carolina Clemson game. Going to make the trip with a friend who is able to get tickets." Connor, that's a hell of a top fifteen matchup, my friend. Yeah. Enjoy the hell out Have of uh, enjoy the hell out of being in South Carolina during the winter time, and enjoy the hell out of that game because that's going to be a Fun one. Yes, yeah, enjoy. Um, I don't know if you want to hit really quick a, a couple other games to hit. Yeah, like, go ahead. That are just yeah, I, had, yeah, I had a ton written down that I'll be at least, whether I can watch them all, I won't have enough screens or eyes for this. But uh, these are all ones that I'm watching tonight. Memphis at Tulsa. Better Tulsa team than last year. One of the worst teams in the country last year. They have nine wins. Um, tough road environment if they pack it out. JMU. Uh, anytime JMU plays, you need to be watching because even though this one is at Louisiana at the Cajun Dome, so one of the hardest places to play in the Sun Belt, 
JMU obviously still hasn't lost, so you know, big opportunity there for the Cajuns to get a win, even though I think JMU does it. We talked about Colorado, Arizona. Um, for those of you Mac Mac fans, MAAC fans, uh, loaded slate. Not a lot of really good teams right at this moment. Teams will start to separate from the pack. Iona St. Peter's is probably your best bet there. Uh, and then on Saturday, Mississippi State at South Carolina. I'll be watching that result. Marquette at Tolo Smith back. Marquette at Seton Hall is another one. Uh, and then Virginia is at North Carolina State. I think another good one. Also, well. you made me think, number 25 in the AP poll, Auburn is at Arkansas. Yep. Very good game. Even though we, Arkansas has got some losses, that's a very good game. The Arkansas can get a Q1 win, but Auburn's playing electric right now. Very good games. Uh, let's start wrapping this thing up. Let's go to some Mountain West talk here. Trev had the idea. He's been wanting to do it, and I like it. We're going to re-rank the Mountain West like we did a couple shows ago with the um, Big East, SEC, and all these teams. But before I do, I put out from our Twitter today, actually this morning at ECB Podcast 10, if we had this year's teams but the 2008 version of conference alignment, how would the Mountain West play out? And I listed the teams that were in the conference at the time. BYU, UNLV, New Mexico, San Diego State, Air Force, Utah, TCU, Wyoming, Colorado State, and also asked how many bids this version of the Mountain West get. Those teams alone, we've talked about a lot already. BYU, New Mexico, San Diego State, Utah, TCU, and Colorado State. That is six very good ball clubs that used to be in the same conference together. I think those six would have got in the tournament. I know Trev said five with a couple bubbles there. I think all six would have got in, and the Mountain West, we would have viewed it if it was that conference in today's climate with the, these same teams right now, it would by far be a power conference, maybe better than like the Pac-12 or something. Like that's a loaded conference with this year's teams. It's better this year. That's the craziest thing that you yeah, like. Yeah, I, you have to just man. like 2008's cool. Don't get me wrong, and I love the exercise, but the Mountain West is a power conference. I'll lead you with this: they're the only conference in 2023-24 season to start with all teams above 500 in non-con play. Like, think about last year. Wyoming was horrid, right? Fresno State was obviously up and down. San Jose State, we know, had a really good year. Uh, UNLV, Utah State, like all these teams that had really good years. But, you know, to start non-con play completely above 500. Now, some of them, don't get me wrong, were 7-6. and six. I'm not I'm not naive. But, it's like. Above, it's above, though, right? I mean, it's, it's above, above every so. single team. This this Mountain West is a Power 6 conference, and I'm I love it to death. It, the Mountain West right now ranks seventh in Ken Palm across all 33 conferences, and they're only two points behind the ACC, who's sixth. So they're damn near there right now, according to the metrics. So it's a it's a great conference this year. It was a great. It would have been a great conference this if the 2008 version as well. But it's a great conference. So let's get into them, Trev. This was your idea. Let's hear how you would re rank. You can start from the bottom, work your way towards the top, top to bottom. Don't care. Um, however you want to do this. Um, all right. So a couple of things. Uh, so I guess my really quick, quick thing about your exercise on Twitter was I, I just ultimately went with Utah was the toss up for the bubble being in or out. And I feel like there was just going to be enough teams with resumes that were going to be better. So that's why I went with the the five instead of six, obviously. You know, and yeah. Mountain West isn't exactly not that not that the committee will ever admit this, but you know, the name of the conference is something that they, you know, probably think about course, more than yeah. we think. So anyway, um, I coming into the year, I'll start with the, in the ECB magazine. I'll just tell you what I had projected wise and where I'm going to eat some crows. So, uh, San Diego state, I had one, New Mexico, I had two Boise. This was to finish, I guess, technically we would have 
this is to finish the regular season, right? I think that's how we did our preseason yeah, rankings, yeah, right? Is. So yeah, um, has finish, no- yeah. nothing to do with the conference tournament. So San Diego State, uh, New Mexico two, Boise State three, Nevada four, Colorado State five, Air Force six, Utah State seven. Who, by the way, Utah State res- returned zero percent of their minutes, as in they did not have a single minute or point scored player from the year before returned to this team. Darius Brown's been incredible. Uh, eight UNLV, nine San Jose State, 10 Fresno State, and 11 Wyoming. Um, look, hey, I just seen a stat real quick. I'm sorry. I did, this actually is very good to go to your point how great the Mountain West is right now. There are six teams in the, with adjusted offense that are ranked inside the top 70 in the Mountain West and seven teams inside the top 75 in defense. That's incredible. Yep. Look, and it like, without even going into the NCAA tournament resume stuff, right on uh, bracketologist.com, you can look at where the cutoff is. There's a lot of teams just on the outside of that cutoff. Um, but like to think that, and I'll go through a couple of them really quick, just, just for the the fun of the example, New Mexico's in there, uh, San Diego state's in there. And Colorado State's in there, obviously, and then New Mexico. I already mentioned New Mexico. So the top four teams are are all currently at large, and then you have others that we'll consider. So um, to re-rank them, I'll start at the top because no one really cares about the bottom. Let's be honest. Yeah, um, yeah. So I I originally had at the top the top three were San Diego State, New Mexico, Boise State. Those were the three I was like, no matter what, those three are making the tournament, right? And I just realized as I'm doing this, I omitted Boise State uh, in my ranking. So let me put them in really fast. <laughs> they are right there. Are there a toss up between one or two? All right. So, well, so Col- when you when you name your top three or four, I want to counter with mine because I think we might have the same. So, I, and Peyton can do it as well if he wants. This is as we currently stand, to be clear. Yeah. Colorado State, San Diego State, Utah State, New Mexico in that order. That's the order I have. Mine, I love Colorado State. I'm going Colorado State one, San Diego State two. Um, I just lost them. Where'd they go? Uh, Colorado State 1, San Diego State 2, New Mexico 3, Nevada 4. I still think that uh, Alford's got a good team out there in Nevada. So I Keenan had, Blackshear is very good. He's a very good player. I had a toss-up between Nevada and Boise State, and I ultimately went I, – I, 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 that's where I forgot to put Boise State back in. Um, look, people are going to argue, honestly, more for not that you said Nevada 4. People are going to argue that New Mexico is not 3, no matter what. But – Look, Utah State's got a heck of a resume, and they need to be, you know, taking serious in that regard, and that's why I have them up there. Let me pull up their resume, resume quickly. Uh, yeah, they're thirteen and one. That. They're they're thirteen and one. They're top sixty in both offense and defense. They play Colorado State Saturday, which is a great game. But I've seen New Mexico four or five times in full games this year, and I think from top to bottom, New Mexico is a better team than Utah State. That's just how I view it. Uh, right think, as of, as of right now, I'm taking resume into consideration though. Like Utah yeah. State winning what they have, and again, I can't find them for some reason in this stupid list. Um, but the point is, is they for what they replaced to be in the position that they're in. Again, going from zero percent of minutes, I know in the current day, uh, that is pretty normal. But not every team can say they've done that. Um, I know Nevada has a higher uh, net ranking right now, but no, no, they don't. Sorry, Utah State's 26. I found them. All right, so. They have only six quad one games remaining, which is important to know. They've got to win their quad three and quad four opportunities. Um, but wins over UC Irvine, and who's 68 Santa in the Clara. net right now. Santa Clara, yeah. uh, San Francisco, 39. Like, that was a one-point game, but they beat San Francisco. They beat Akron, who's still in the top 100 in the net. 
And that enough to me was the difference maker. But I don't I don't disagree with any order right now because New Mexico, I understand, is more talented and will probably finish better. But this is as we currently stand, which I think I would give Utah State the edge for that. How um, weird is it, real quick, that Utah State primarily has always been a great three-point shooting team? They're shooting 29%. Normally, that's how they win games, historically, is they shoot the hell out of three. They're terrible right now. Peyton, what do you got for the top four? Uh, real quick, did you say when talking about Utah State, um, did you say UC Irvine was a what? what they're sixty. They're sixty eighth in the net right now. What is that? A quad two win? What is that? Uh, at the time, yeah, quad two, yeah. He's holding. They're fucking nine and five overall. Like this is why I don't put too much attention to like uh, resumes and all this bullshit because I do. You say Irvine get, is a good team though. I will say they're more, they're better than their nine and five says. I, I do understand like it does help in some way, but also like I do keep a track of like records and all this other stuff. I mean, you see Irvine's nine and five San Francisco, you know, they're like 50th and Ken Palm. They are 11 and four. I will give them that, but Akron, Akron's nine and four. Um, That's a good uh, Akron team though. I wrote about these, them. These are all teams uh, that are well above 500. Is the yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, Bradley's 9-5. and five. They lost that game. But either way, I do think Colorado State is the team to beat in the Mountain West this year. I do like Boise State. I did watch that game early in the season. They ended up losing. But they lost a really good Clemson squad early in the season. I ended up watching that game because um, I thought it would be a lot more closer than that. I do think Boise State can eventually make a one for, like, top three. But I, I have Colorado State one. Um, I think New Mexico is out there. I think there's a lot of teams that have uh, Nevada's obviously 13 to one. Um, a lot of teams out there, San Diego State. If I had to make a top four, I'd say Colorado State one, um, San Diego State two. Um, mm, fuck. I, after that, I don't even know. Probably Boise State up there. Top two, is definitely, top two is definitely Colorado State, San Diego State. After that, it gets blurry for me. I'd have to right. really like sit down and look. I will give some love to the bottom teams real quick. Uh, Colorado State, San Diego State, 1-2. Utah State, 3. New Mexico, uh, 4. Nevada, 5. As we currently stand, I agree with you. Nevada wasn't far off on the on you there. Uh, Boise State, 6. UNLV, 7. Uh, they UNLV is... Look, I, I think I underestimated how good Dane Thomas is like, look, that, that guy is incredible as a freshman come into the year, uh, the highest rated freshman coming into, uh, coming into the mountain West. So I think that's really important to know for them. This is also a building block here, right? Their head coach, uh, was the last head, co- his father was the last head coach to get UNLV into the tournament a ton in the early two thousands. Uh, you know, I think in that 2006 range or whatever. So I think this is a really good, building block year for them that if they and look I was thinking they were going to finish way worse going back to where I had them uh, I had them finishing eighth and I think I have them what seventh now so I mean you know I say way worse I'm not just much begging worse. as somebody who grew up in the time when UNLV was winning national champions or championships I'm begging for somebody to turn Vegas into a very good team again like not just good but a very good to great program again not that they not that they have an opportunity to make the tournament and make this a seven bid league or something crazy like that, but they do have eight quad one opportunities. They've only they're only one to zero in quad one right now, and that speaks to the Mountain West. Um, they had a two point loss versus St. Mary's. They beat Hofstra, who's really really good. Uh, they beat Creighton, as we all know. 
uh, that Dayton game I would have loved to have seen for their resume, but obviously, you know, with the circumstances around the shooting at UNLV at the time, you know, they weren't going to play at Dayton that day. Um, they do have some interesting losses, though. Um, losing to Florida State's not good for them. So, look, their resume's not perfect, but UNLV as a team and as a talent is, is really good, and that's why I have them where I have them. Rounding it out, Wyoming, uh, San Jose State Air Force, and Fresno State. Shout out to San Jose State, who coming off their best finish in school history. Uh, Tim Miles is an incredible coach. Shout out to Tony Patelis. Uh, yeah. But they have wins against UC Irvine and Santa Clara. So that was what made them the team right below my Wyoming. Um, Air Force, I'm eating crow on, but they've also missed Ritus, uh, Ritus Petritus, Petritus for like 90% of the season. So I can't say that that's a reason. Look, I had Air Force finishing sixth, not making the NCAA tournament still. My favorite team in that conference just coming into the year as a fun team to watch. Uh, but my finish ranking would be Colorado State, San Diego State, Utah State 3, New Mexico 4, Nevada 5, Boise State 6, UNLV Wyoming, San Jose State, Air Force, and Fresno State. I'm eating crow the most, just to compare them real quick for you. Um, eating the crow most on Colorado State. I didn't see this level of jump, like I said, from Stevens and some from I don't other think guys. Anybody did. I don't think um, anybody did. Look, I, I still have them as, like, if there was five teams to make the tournament, they were the fifth team to do it out of it. Now I think they can win the conference, for crying out loud. Um, I'll probably eat the most crow there. Um, I have... I, I mentioned UNLV in the same spot. Utah State, I feel, look, I know it... it, it we're going to learn more about them as Mountain West play concludes, um, but I had them finishing seventh and missing the tournament, and they're probably a tournament team as we stand right now. Um, and then probably otherwise, I think I got it right otherwise. You Boise State obviously had a really tough schedule there with three, bumping them down to six. But, I mean, San Diego State and New Mexico are two incredible teams. And, and I th- yeah, I think I agree with that. The only, I think, um, hiccup we had with each other's is I have Nevada four, you have them five, but they're similar. The, the point being, the Mountain West is definitely a multi-bid league. The question is, will they get four? Will they get five? Will they maybe get six? But I think four or five is about the right answer. And the crazy thing is, all four or five teams, or three if they end up dropping off a couple, however many teams they get, they're going to have legitimate shots to be second weekend teams. This is an incredible conference full of deep, quality teams, Great competition night in, night out in this conference. That If you do have the opportunity to stay up if you're on the East Coast to watch these games late in the night, I would suggest turning in to like the CBS sports networks normally where they're at or wherever to find them because it's an incredible league that is very much a power conference, at least borderline, if not already there. Fun stuff. It's a conference we'll keep an eye out the rest of the year. It's going to be a fun way. But wrapping up episode 171, Conference plays here, which means there's going to be a lot of craziness, a lot of incredible games. No more cupcakes from here on out. No more uh, Kentucky playing the Jackson State Prison Penitentiary School or uh, Indiana playing Butler College of Fine Arts and Michael Shit, DeRosa. Let's do both of those guys. <laughs> <laughs> Are you naming the fucking like D5 college yet? Yeah, I, I don't even know if that's even a thing. D5 college. Probably is, probably not. Well, I don't care. But Louisville would probably well, get beat Kenny by 20 Payne, plus. Well, Kenny Payne would be fooled by the zone. But the point being. We're in the best part of the year where the next two months are fast and furious. Before you know it, it's going to be March and conference play is going to be over and we're going to turn our attention to the NCAA tournament. It's an awesome time for this sport. So lots of college basketball, great games coming up this weekend. Thank you for watching along live with us. We've been having great viewership in the thousands on these videos. So thank you very much. 
If you do listen to this traditional audio when it comes out, please leave a review, share it with your peoples, leave a five-star review, follow all that fun stuff. But wrapping up episode 171 for Peyton and for Trevor, I've been your host, Josh. We hope you enjoyed this, and we will catch you guys down the road. 71 days until March, baby. <laughs>